So let's do this. Episode one. Yeah, go. Episode one, go. My name is Aaron Silverman. I'm the host here in the Liquid Lounge, cannabis-infused conversations. I've got Jake Litke, the CEO of Media Gel, with me today. And I've got David School, the chairman of Zephyr, which is Cannabis Business Intelligence. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. So I said Cannabis Business Intelligence. That goes over a lot of folks' heads. Right. Layman's terms, what does that mean? Uh, well, you know, really to make it simple is we collect big data and then either provide big data or provide analysis. So we build a lot of models mathematically around um, consumer behavior and where they live and how they act and what they buy and how they spend their money and how they make their money and how they're, how they're educated, uh, you know, their sex, their race, their religions, things like that. Why is that information important in the cannabis industry right now? Well, it's not just important to the cannabis industry, it's important to all industries. Anybody who sells a consumer product needs to understand their consumer first. It's one thing to know that there's maybe, in this case, a dispensary in a neighborhood, but placing a, let's say, a high-priced product in a low-earning neighborhood is probably not going to get you great reviews. And it's probably not going to get you great sales. Good point. Data in the cannabis industry is pretty awesome. I mean, it's another form of currency, right? I mean, data True. is pretty awesome and pretty powerful. Right. How did you get into data in the first place? And then how did you repurpose that sort of skill set into cannabis? So um, I actually started out in marketing and advertising. So I did direct marketing, which is uh, very specific data-based marketing. So we would do the same things. So we go in and analyze a market for a product and determine where best to place and where and how best to price and also how best to discount if that was the issue. Um, so that's how I got started with data and real serious big data analysis. Um, secondarily, I was also involved in some very high level healthcare projects in the United States, which then anchored healthcare services and healthcare products to people as well. So now dealing at a very intimate level with consumers at a very granular base, dealing with things like knee injuries and bad elbows and cancer and other types of diseases, learned very quickly how to be able to predict where disease occurs, why it occurs, and how it gets fixed over time. When it comes to cannabis, the reason I got involved in cannabis was just that, was to help what I saw as a deficiency on the medical side of cannabis legalization Turning to a non-prohibition stance, which I, I, I fully support, I think it's very important to have that, but what I felt was lacking was the ability to prove efficacy. And so what we did is we set out about developing a efficacy model to start with the data, forecasting disease by zip code, and then starting to track what products were being sold, starting to track what people were reporting back, and what ended up happening is what we discovered was because of the deregulization or the legalization of the market, we were able to start collecting a lot more data. And this, this data started to help us understand even better how people could not only use cannabis recreationally, but also for brands and products to develop to meet needs health-wise that weren't maybe necessarily included in their local laws. How do you see the data differ from states that have medical and recreation? Right, so, so when we look at just a straight medical state, um, it's very, very minimal sets of data. They're very, very low. 
And there's a lot of stigma still, especially in the uh, healthcare community around cannabis and around cannabinoids. Now that's, that's changing and it's changing rapidly. But the reality is, is that for about 10 years, what you saw was a very slow burn. So you're talking like maybe in a high density area, you may get in a state a thousand participants with three or four or five doctors involved. That's very, not enough to analyze at all. So when, when recreational popped in these states, what you actually saw was that number went spiking. It spiked on the, on the patient side and then leveled off. And then also recreational took off too. But what we started to realize through chat rooms and through feedback in other areas on the web is that people were actually using cannabis for health-related issues, not just for recreation. So people were picking, um, let's say they were picking OG Kush because it, it, was, it was good for pain, or it was good for swelling, or it was good for sleep. So people were actually using healthcare options on the recreational side to avoid the stigma of having a health card or a, a, a med card, right? So we were, we even, even though we saw a decline of medical users over time, the reality is, is that the medical data continued to grow over time and the usage data continued to grow over time. Products evolved, things happened because people were seeking them for certain reasons outside of just getting high. Yeah. THC is one component of this market and what we've seen is in new markets, it's very, very popular, but as developing markets come along, it starts to lose its popularity, other cannabinoids start to take a front seat. Hmm. As with the hemp products coming now into these developed markets, they're very low THC. Just bringing a cannabinoid is all they're doing. Oh. What's one of the coolest things you've seen in cannabis in the last few years you know, happen to the industry besides what you're doing? I, the, the coolest thing that I've seen is that real professionals with real management, real corporate knowledge, understand things like Sarbanes-Oxley, understand the New York Stock Exchange, understand real retail, understand how to forecast and actually discount and do the real math are showing up. And they're here for real. That's yeah, reassuring. It is very reassuring because it just, it just goes to show that, that it, it has not only traction, but it's got staying power well into the future. Yeah, you're right. That's, it's validating as well as it is reassuring. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the second coolest thing I've seen is um, uh, not only the, the stance by the U.S. attorney, but the ability for the U.S. attorney to work with local um, district attorneys to weed out the bad players. What people don't realize is that that actually legitimizes our industry further it's not an attack on the industry, it's actually right. helping the industry. Because as those black market players, those bad players exit, the industry reaps the reward for that. Because they actually can provide a good quality product in a safe quality environment within the restrictions of the law that will eventually and continuously help consumers grow and get better. Yeah, you're right. the inability to transition into this regulatory market is going to weed out everybody we don't want in in any way. Absolutely. Well, you need, I mean, consumers need to trust the products. And, sure. And cannabis specifically has a much greater impact on you, you know, physically and mentally than soda does, for example, right? I mean, yeah. the, the severity of, of bad reactions is, is much higher, right? 
Right. So. <laughs> yeah, somebody drinks three Coca-Colas, it's not the same as somebody who ate, uh, you know, 100 milligrams of gummies sure. for the first time ever. Yeah. yeah. And you to know. your point about the trust, that's where, you know, testing becomes so important. Building trust with brands also builds trust with the cannabis industry on its own, which is, I mean, you have an obligation right now. If you're doing business in the space, you're bringing folks into the space to build trust with your brand, but they are also needing to trust cannabis. That's so right. testing becomes important. And I mean, I don't know that anybody's gone blind off of booze they've bought off the shelf in the last 60 years, right? Because we have testing and we yeah. made sure that. And so now with yeah. cannabis, we're right. kind of getting there. But, you know, that's where a lot of data comes in through, you know, pesticide and pathogen testing and potency testing. There's an enormous amount of data that's available. Right. And yet we're only testing the parts per millions. We haven't even hit the parts per billions, which is, I, I know. think, you know, that's where we need to get to for the next legitimate, right. you know, I think milestone for testing. And then you'll get even, does the data improve at that point? Well, there's there's a certain point at which you pass cost to benefit ratio, right? Okay. So so when we look at when we look at the analysis, um, we, we want to get into a window that's, you know, a high quality window is between 90 and 95% surety. When you're dealing with parts per billion, you know, you're in very, very, very deep water when it comes to analysis. What I think it does, what what I think it does for the industry is that it further legitimizes the trust and it allows for a real product to be made in a real way that's regulated and good. That then allows us to pair those products to people, right? It allows us to sit down and say, okay, in this area, we have a proclivity for this type of consumer with these types of needs. And it, it isn't just health-based, it can be recreational-based, it can be um, homeopathic, it can be topical-based, it can be all these different ways that cannabis will infiltrate and work in people's lives because the way we think about it at Zephyr is that everybody's a cannabis consumer, eventually. Yep. Because there's just no way, if you don't use it recreationally for THC, you may use it homeopathically or medicinally with another cannabinoid, could use it topically. It could be clothing. Well, how about, you're right. I think it goes well beyond that. Not only is everybody some a consumer on some level, but even if they choose to never use it on any level, right? there's a lot of folks that don't drink that still show up at a party with a bottle of wine. Absolutely. And, or a case of beer, right? And so- That's a good host gift. That's, yeah, it's a nice host gift. So even if you're not a cannabis user, you might show up at a party with you know, a nice, you know, right. eighth of something or some well-packaged pre-rolls or some chocolates or you send a gift basket. And so being aware of brands and then having brands that you can trust, even if they're not for you, right. you're going to be a consumer on some level or a purchaser and you're going to be aware of it and you need to be able to make a decision for one reason or another. And With the industrial applications that are coming with cannabis, you're probably going to drive a car with some synthetic cannabis based yes. oil in it. Yeah, or okay. some hemp or lubricant yeah. based It's very something. fire retardant. They're making, it is incredibly versatile. With... It's food too, yep. you know? So the, 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 the possibilities are unlimit, unlimited, but we have to first understand the consumer, where they live, how they live, how they behave, what they need, and then start dropping products in on them. Yeah. You know, there's cannabinoids like THCA you know, it's very highly sure. uh, hallucinatory. Nobody's even tapped it. Nobody's even dealt with it yet. Has promise for PTSD, has promise for depression, right? All of these things are just waiting to erupt. And at this, at this very beginning of this little journey that we're taking here, yeah. 
all we're really dealing with is about a third of the cannabinoid profile, and it's already an explosion. And the data is mounting. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Do you see um, in your data, do you see product choices happening geographically where you are kind of overlaying epidemiology type of information? Like in this region, there's this, uh, because of whatever region, regional differences are in that area, there's right. a high propensity for some sort of ailment. Is, does, does a product that treats that ailment, have you, are you seeing sales? Uh, skew at all? So, so what I do, what we do see is we see a propensity for product to be placed. So the sales data is very, very granular and incredibly difficult to analyze. And what you end up with is 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 actually a whole lot of problems because the industry is really bad at normalizing data, and it's very difficult to normalize. So with things like POS data, you get lots of different naming conventions, which makes it very, very, very expensive to analyze. But what we've done is we've taken a step back of that. So what you start to see is like, like if you go to Columbus, Ohio, the grocery store has some of the same things that Colorado does, but they have all these other things too. Right. That don't exist here. Yeah. Right? You go to Nordstrom in San Diego, they've got different different stuff, stuff there than the one, you know, say here in Walnut Sell Creek. Absolutely, it's yeah. different stuff, right? So where we see it happening is in the regionalization of product. And not just through epidemiology, but also consumer preference, right? And also that breaks into their into their spending profiles and how they make their money and how well educated they are and kind of their their overall life choices. Their neighborhoods start to play a role. You know, if they're living yeah. in apartments or they're living in high rises or they're living in, uh, you know, a trailer park. Right. It changes the way the products are placed. Sure. And they just, what's happened in the beginning here is that everybody said, okay, my product is full of THC. It's going to sell everywhere. And so they placed it everywhere. Yeah. And then they lost a whole bunch of money. <laughs> and then they pulled back. And then they placed it, they just left it where it did, did yeah. well. What they didn't understand is that they could just do a few tweaks to the brand or a few tweaks to the pricing or create a discounting algorithm to work with those communities and it would have sold just as well and gone a little bit higher volume, a little lower uh, margin, and right. they would have been just fine. But the industry just isn't there yet. Yeah. You know? it's start, yeah, startup businesses in a startup industry for that That's matter. That's right. It's true. It's true, true, true. I think some of these, uh, you know, new manufacturers, they they don't even have the the production facilities to do what you're talking about necessarily, right? Like if, yeah. if we made ten times as much and made it twenty percent less, then that would work. But they don't have necessarily the machinery in place to even produce at that volume, right? Most of these guys. So what I've discovered in in the in the past three years is that you have eighty percent that are just doing it for the first time and 20% that have done it for real. Of course you want to work with the top 10% of that 20%, right? The top 50% of that 20%, but they don't need you because right. they have their own ERPs, they have their own production schedules, they understand, you know, the 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 production algorithms. They understand how to, you know, have two lines versus one line. I've worked with producers in the industry guys that run their machinery full time all day long every single day of the week and it doesn't stop until it breaks. And their whole sole focus in life is to go out and get sales without really realizing that their model is unsustainable. Sure. You know, I've had, I've had manufacturers ask me if I could tell them the exact number of product on a shelf in a store. 
And with metric data, you can do that. But metric itself is so hard to use and so difficult to use their public API. And there's so many legal loopholes and, and obstacles to jump over that the cost becomes unwieldy. And it may be a high dollar industry, but trust me, you don't have, most people don't have $850,000 to do a study on a single item, especially when you're selling in lots of a thousand. Yeah. So, yeah. so they, the, the, the bottom line of that is that you can just look at your own inventory movement and see how your inventory moves to different parts of town, different areas, different people who buy your product, and then determine how to like create your own manufacturing schedule, right? Right. But that, that knowledge is just not there yet. Yeah. So. We have brands that we work with that have run into an issue What you know, you run one ad campaign for a weekend and all their inventory is gone. Right, but stop the ads, right? Can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have anything to sell now. Yeah, right. So we'll get back to you in a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the industry is still very infantile around production. Um, the the big players, you know, and you know who they are. They're the big edibles players and the big growers. You know who they are. They're not suffering, but they're taking their time. They're moving it slowly, and they're doing it right. But the data, the data just keeps coming, and that's a good thing and a bad thing all at the same time. Thank you. Because at the end of the day, what are we going to analyze, right? Yeah. How simplistic does it need to be? How difficult does it need to be? You know, building, do we build models that predict down to the millimeter? Or are we okay with a case of a thousand? Yeah, well, you've, then you've got, you know, from a product perspective, um, you still have all these sort of strain names, which some of them are accurate, some of them are not. People can kind of really call it whatever yeah, they want, right? Right, And then so, you know, you can do all the diligence with your data in the world, but at the end of the day, if the actual plant is not what you think it's not it, the what product it was labeled, it's to, right. then you've got another problem. Exactly, right? and, and I know I've heard these stories of these guys that will take stuff that doesn't sell and put it in a blue dream bottle. You know? They call it whatever they want, but the unfortunate thing is somebody likes that or right. doesn't like that and can't ever find it or make sure they don't find it again. Ever. But yeah. terpene profiles become important for that reason. Some genetic profiling at some point becomes important. And, right. You know, sometimes the reviews just help someone, you know, if they're looking at something that says this is fruity and they don't like fruity, it doesn't matter what it's called. Right. I at least know I'm probably not going to like that. I'm not going to like that yeah, one. Yeah, if right. I, you know, smell milk. And it smells bad. Yeah. I already know I don't like that. <laughs> you know, like I don't yeah. need to drink it to know yeah. I definitely yeah. didn't like it. Yeah, the the profile of sour diesel being smells like diesel fuel. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't want any of that. But no, yes, yeah, I love things. that. What's your favorite? <laughs> while we're on the subject, what's your favorite strain if you have one? Um, I'm an indica guy. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite, favorite indica then? What's it gonna be? Uh, one, one strain, one island. They're like a white Skywalker. Okay. Pretty heavy and chill. Yeah. I uh, yeah I don't like. Um, I don't like the real heady experience. I so like no, the, no headbands for you. No, I, no, yeah, no. I don't like to. I don't like to do anything that makes me think too hard. You know, I mean, I'm already like always constantly thinking. Yeah. So if I if I if I take a good sativa, it just puts me up for six yeah. eight hours. I often take my sativas at night, so I can focus on sleeping oh, yeah, and you, relaxing. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> that's so, what it helps yeah. me do. Focus on relaxing. Yeah, man. If I if I if I take it, just it just makes me stay awake. So, so yeah, I, um, I, like the, I like the heavier experience, the more mellow experience. 
I like a, a, I like a, a nice kind of uh, citrusy profile to the taste. Like some tangy? You like like some a little tangy. I love tangy. Yeah, it tastes so good, man. It tastes like so that. good yeah, yeah, when yeah. it hits your lips. Hey, yeah. cheers. Cheers to you. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's yeah. great, cool shit happening. Yeah, no doubt. Being a part of it. No doubt. How do you like your tangy? Are you a grind it up and twist it up? Are you a water um, pipe kind of guy? No, I like, yeah, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna smoke flour, it's gonna be out of a joint. Smoke a joint. Old school, yeah. Smoke a joint, dude. Yep. I smoked a blunt here and there, but I don't like tobacco very much. Yeah. So the combination of tobacco and that is eh, you know, for me it's alright. No. What is that? What's that? What's the it is, uh, bourbon, it's bourbon. Well I know, but what's which what's the, the bullet? I think it is the bullet. bullet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Someone good. pulled it out of the it's office. Good. Nice plug so. it's good. Dude. This is a liquid yeah. lounge, <laughs> so liquid we got lounge, yeah. vapes and we got yeah. you know That's bourbon. Nice. Yeah, no, I think the, I think the real challenges coming forward with data are going to be normalization, and being able to like, judge the level of depth that we go to, um, yeah. to get real results. Because quite frankly, getting within, eighty to eighty-five percent on a lot of these data sets of surety. Is way better than you need. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and you start laying that into a geodetic space, and it becomes real evident. I mean, if you're marking somebody within a four-block radius, if they're within the third block, and you thought they were in the second block, did yeah. you lose? No, you didn't lose. Yeah. Right? You yeah. still won, even though your your accuracy was only fifty percent. So, but you still won. But that's the thing, going forward, I think. So, I got a question. Yeah, sir. So, how do you guys see artificial intelligence starting to play with this data, starting to use this data, and kind of some of the applications that you guys are seeing? Well, it's been there's been a struggle to do anything really effective with machine learning to date, simply because we didn't have any data to work with, right? Anything reasonable, anyway. You could pull things off of websites, but it's all anecdotal, and then you've got people's personal experiences mixed in with their reviews and what the effects are. So um, up until very recently, when there's when we are starting to get good data sets, you couldn't do anything. Now that we can, we can start to let consumers interact with systems and record what they're doing, and then use that to build um, a better recommendation service, right? Um, because even if you look at the most popular online places where you could get people's opinions, that, that data set is still very, very small compared to something that, you know, modern companies like Google and Facebook, you know, the, the data level that they have access to. So um, if, if, we can, if we can let enough people have their voices be heard, then we can, we can model that into um, a machine learning system that can take someone who's new to the, uh, to the industry um, and they then get the benefit of all of that information, right? So, um, you know, that's something that, that we're working on also, and we're doing that specifically to help n new people or people coming back potentially into the cannabis space have a better first experience and get to a, a product fit sooner, right? So you don't have to go through learning that, you know, you don't like headband. If we could have had this conversation beforehand, then you could have gotten right to that. And that's not scalable with people, right? So you're gonna have to use an artificial intelligence to, to give people that service. Yeah, it's and not only is it not scalable with people, to your point, but you got folks going into dispensaries, but most folks are gonna be coming into them for the first time. Um, moving forward, there's 
I mean, we can agree maybe that there's more folks that are not yet in the cannabis industry than those that are already here, right? So they're all gonna come in and have some sort of first experience and if they're dependent upon the mood of a bud tender who maybe just doesn't feel like referring a good product or maybe you know he doesn't take the time to ask you a couple extra questions to help you avoid getting the sour diesel or the jack or whatever sativa you didn't want. Right. Or their friend is a grower. Yeah, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, or, yeah there's some incentive program. Incentive. You yeah. know, pretty soon, you know, doctors are you know writing scripts for Vi you know Viagra to go to Hawaii. Yeah, right. There's a trip connected to this deal. So the opioid problem, right? right? Exactly. And so <laughs> yeah. you'll get the same thing. Whereas I'm sure at some point you can integrate, you know, their couponing and recommendations from brands that are putting, you know, paying to be on platforms so that those products get recommended. But to be able to have, you know, a chat bot that you can interface with and not have to deal with being in the dispensary and maybe you can be a little bit more intimate with the chat bot by saying what you do or don't like or what you need help with and maybe you don't want to share that with somebody you don't know. And if right. all that information can, you know, be stored and help you, you know, find products like it or in places that you're not normally going to be, but when you get there, you know that you can find, you know, a, a strain that you're going to like at a dispensary in Seattle that's by your hotel when you go up there for a business trip. Right. So you're not having to try to figure out the local landscape of cannabis and what strains they're referring to names of up there. And so I think it's great. I think the artificial intelligence, is, it's, it's cool. Everybody's playing with it and it's kind of becoming the new thing. And cannabis is kind of a new thing for folks. And I think it's expected, you know, that cryptocurrency, right? It should be the new norm, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind yeah, of the, the expectation norm. at some yeah. point. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, really, cannabis is new tech, you know, it yeah. is new tech. Yeah, it's an old plant, but it's new tech. Sure. You know, a lot of new things coming out. So. And the other thing that it, that um, an AI can do that is again saves saves people a lot of time and energy is if we can decide what we think a good product fit is for you, then we can also tell you where it's available, either for you know pickup or delivery. Um, and that way, you know that's only only knowing what you want is is like half of it, right? Now you need to get it, um, and so you need to know where it's even in stock near you, right? So that's another thing that, that AI will do for people that, you know, do all this kind of shopping for yeah. you, figure out where it is, tell you where to get it. Um, and then you, you take something that could have been, you know, an hour long research project and you compress it into a conversation with a bot that takes 10 responses. And now you know where to get what you want. Right. And if they're out of it, now you're not going to a store that you think has it right. to find out that they're out of it. And now there's a bad experience with the product, the store. Maybe the people at the store. And you're already you find other nervous. Yeah. 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 So right. maybe we can eliminate a lot of that too. Cool. If you uh, if you weren't data Dave <laughs> in the cannabis space, uh -huh. what would you go do in the cannabis space? Um, well, that's interesting. You know, my kind of one of my life goals here, and I think I was telling you about this a little bit before, was I'm an avid surfer. So what I think my next little gig is going to be is I think I'm going to go and open a surf shop with a medical dispensary next to it and a taco stand all in one building Okay. and a house on top. And all I'm going to do is surf sets and yep. just hire like four or sling five docks, hire docks, hire per people to sling tacos and just run the surf shop. Right. That's that's what I would do. If this <laughs> cannabis media gel thing doesn't work out for me, then I'm. Are you down? I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> that's I mean, that's kind of like my perfect, like set. You know, what I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm thinking what I would do, I would do a medical play. Cool. I would work in a medical environment. I'd have a medical environment, but I'd also, you know, have my surf environment and my uh, 
favorite food environment too. And you can't go bad with good tacos and oh. great sets and, and you know, some really good high quality healthcare. Yeah. You know, that's right. Just live above the it. California dream. Just live Sounds above like, it, yeah. dude. Just live right above it. <laughs> you know, just live right above it on a beach in Maui someplace. That'd be great for me. Best advice you've gotten. Best advice I've gotten. Yeah. Um, Career, personal, doesn't matter. Just some good advice. The best advice that I've gotten is that you have to partner. You have to be open to listening to everyone because you're not going to do this alone. No. You're not going to do life alone, but you're definitely not doing cannabis alone. This is a partnership-oriented business. There is no space for the single player here. There are no sharp elbows here. No. For the most so part, everybody's super cool. It's not Wall Street here. We're nobody's. We're not. We're not fighting over pennies. Yeah. Here. We're we're in a really interesting space. So I think you just have to be open to listening to other people, know what you don't know, and find the people to work with you. And I've been very lucky. My team. You know, my my CEO, Jason Giles, unbelievable data designer, brings things to life that nobody else could do. You know, I've got um, an unbelievable legal mind on the on our team, our uh, uh, you know, chief legal officer, Mark Freda, keeping up with compliance, keeping up with all of the investment standards, how to keep us compliant with Sarbanes-Oxley. You know, I've got my head dev, Casey Cup, unbelievable crazy little weirdo who sits in his basement and does all this really cool stuff and makes stuff come to life for us, man. And I mean, I know she said his basement, not yeah, his mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's his now. Yeah, he, no, Milo! He, he's a surfer too, though, dude. Can we get cool some Milo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's a cool mom. surfer dude too, yeah. No, I gotta go surf. Um, the uh, And then, you know, our data scientist, Michael Lanham out of Canada. Michael and I do really well together because we dream these really big dreams and Michael can create some really impressive AI deep learning stuff. And so me being kind of crazy and being able to see a lot of connections, blessing and a curse, yeah. ends up being a really cool subset of what these guys can do. And if I didn't have those kind of partners and I didn't have the partners in, in people like MediaGel and people like um, New Frontier Data and, and our other customers, they're just, we just wouldn't have that kind of traction. We wouldn't be able to do what we do, Yeah. period. Yeah, on the customer note, maybe you can um, just talk a little bit about, we talked about what you're doing at a high level, but what is the actual service that, if people wanna go and, and, and sign up for your service, what is it that, right. that they get out of that? So, so there's a couple of different things that we offer. Um, right now, what we offer to the general public, and, and we've opened this not this is, this is not intended, it can be used by the industry, but it's not really intended for the industry. It's really intended for ancillary businesses that are trying to sell to the industry. Um, what we found is that the industry itself is a very small space. It's not very big. No. And, and usually how business deals gets done here is knowledge. And I know you, you know me, you know a guy, I knew a guy, and that's a guy, and we gotta talk to that guy, right? Yeah. Still very old school, just like it was when it was illegal. But what we found was is that people with real products like glass display cases, carpeting, real estate. Um, Humidifiers. Yeah, I mean, you know, testing services, all these different things that they, you know, building supplies that they want to sell into the industry face the same challenge, which is it's a very guarded space. People don't talk a lot. People sure. don't want to share their connections because of kind of that 
I know a guy that knows a guy and I trust you and if I don't know you, I don't trust you. Right. So what we did is we actually created a platform called Zephyr Station. And what we do is we index every dispensary throughout the United States and all of the products that they sell. We also place that on a map geodetically and then lay all of, all of our consumer data on top. These are very, very detailed profiles. We have over 2 billion data points in the platform right now. And this for, we charge 399 month for the SaaS platform to get in. You can have access to every dispensary in the United States, see what they do, how big they are, we'll look at their locations, see what they may or may not need, see what they do or do not sell, place product, appeal to them on lots of different levels. Yeah, that sounds very powerful. Actually, I know it's powerful because I've seen it. It's a, it's a very nice interface. Thank you, you can You can do some pretty amazing things Appreciate in there. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's just the beginning. And then we sell an API service that allows people actual direct contact to that data. So we, through Zephyr Station, only present about a third of the data that we actually have and collect. We collect lots of other things like... Um, you know, health efficacy data and disease data, and we collect strain data, and and there's just so much nested inside that data set that you can do pretty much anything you want to do inside the industry with it. Um, and now bringing on different sets out of our partner, um, our partners, and one of our largest data partners, uh, New Frontier, is that we're starting to be able to tap into things like iHeartJane data and start tapping to things like, um, uh, you know, leaf buyer data and stuff like that, that that weren't readily available in the beginning. Um, we're tapping into menu-based data out of POSs now. We're starting to see some real mass traction around data acquisition, which allows us to do some really crazy special stuff yeah. that we can see. Yeah. But what I've learned about the data industry is it's not about what I can see. It's about what you all can see. Yeah. And that's the key. It's, here's a pile of really cool stuff. Let's get in there and see what we can make out of it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what we do. And um, we're getting ready to roll forward with uh, several new um, devs this year. Um, one will be very, very interesting and be pointed at um, uh, dispensaries itself. And I think you'll be interested in that one. I can't say much more about that one, but okay. that one will be a fun one. And, um, you know, probably looking towards, uh, towards bigger things in the future. Yeah. That's great. Well, we look forward to uh, seeing all your new data sets because that, that data allows us to be more efficient for our clients, right? And help them make every dollar count that they spend doing advertising. Come on over to the pile. All right. <laughs> great. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate thank you, David. it. Dude, thank Aaron, you so thanks, much brother. for being on the show. No, Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, this was.